I'm sorry I gave him the wrong text, but he read that one very well. And it is a scripture we're going to be reading right now. It's, um, it, it comes a little bit um, before the text. The text is actually in um, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. But, you know, we're going to read the whole thing anyway. I, I, want to, I want to do a little bit of reading right here at the beginning and lay a foundation for what we're getting ready to talk about. Uh, Romans, now, let's turn to chapter 1 in, in Romans. Romans chapter 1. And um, what, what you'll see, we're, we're, we're going to read verses 18 and 19. Then we're going to jump down to 28 and 32. And then I'm going to read chapter 2, 1 through 4. And I do this because there's a, the chapter uh, separation kind of breaks down this thought. And I want to put this thought together. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all righteousness, all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, Malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, dis despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man. Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to, to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. We have a good God. Amen. Uh, do you see the context in which God had to save us? We you say, well, well, I didn't do this. I didn't. You were guilty of it all. Amen. You were not like God. And what did God do? He reached down. His goodness provoked him to provide a way that we could be made righteous. See, we learn in the first, in the opening chapters of Romans that God, God has revealed not only his goodness, but also his wrath against sin. Lest by any means a man would say, well, that's, you know, that, that's excusable. No, it's not excusable. We have been delivered from these things. In other words, we don't have to do them anymore. We don't have to. We also learned that unbelief is not an innocent act. People say, well, well, I just made a mistake. No, sin's not a mistake. Sin is an act of disobedience. That's what it is. And see, it, it, we live in a generation perhaps that they don't want to hear this. It doesn't make any difference. It's true. And so, see, as you, as you search, seek out, desire to please God, these things, they'll lose their appetite. You'll lose an appetite for doing anything that's against God. See, this text confirms that those who do not believe but have pleasure in unrighteousness 
have done so willingly and purposely, and they've done them against God. So, see, it's, sin is not innocent. It's just not. You say, well, well, Adam was innocent, but he was till he sinned. He was till he did something he knew he shouldn't do. That's what sin is, right? To him that know what to do good and do what to not, to him, it's sin. God has showed, he showed us the truth. In the gospel, he's laid it all out in front of us. Do good. And the, the law, this is our primer, the law, he, he, he told us what was right. The problem is we didn't, have, we didn't have the wherewithal to get it done. See, we were starting from an unrighteous standpoint. You'd have to be righteous in order to work righteousness. So see this, um, we had to have someone. See, the, the law taught us that we needed a Savior. We, we needed someone to come and do it, <laughs> do work righteousness. And God sure supplied Jesus, didn't he? He supplied the Holy One, the one that came down. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was made of a woman, made under the law, that he might redeem those that were under the law. See that we are, In other words, everyone's being held accountable to God. I mean, you say, well, whatever generation you live in, the bottom line is whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you are, one day you're going to have to stand before a holy and a just God and give an account of the deeds done in the body. And see, I love this. Just so none of humanity can honestly come to a conclusion that we are any better than anybody else he lays this out. Isn't that good? You say, well, well, those are evil people over there. No, they're just like you. They're just, they're just manifesting that evil in a different way. Amen. See, none of us are better than another sinner. That's just like absurd, isn't it? Well, my favorite sin is this. Well, the problem is, is that there is no sin in Christ. And see, the only, the only people God's going to accept are those who are in Christ. So, you come to a conclusion there. He says, for all, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. Okay? So, and come short of the glory of God. The works of man will eventually reveal what is going on inside of them. Doesn't make any difference. If you're righteous, eventually someone will say, why do you do this? See, it's, it'll be like mysterious. Why don't you go out like the rest of us do? Why don't you do the, what we do? It's, it is very noticeable. You live holy and righteously and honestly in this present generation, and you'll stick out. But just, just as much as evil, wicked sinners stick out to you, right? It's like, how could they do that? How could they kill babies? How could they do that? Well, because they're unrighteous. See, that they serve a master too, don't they? And that master promotes anything that's against God. Sin always brings the wrath of God or, or, or the judgment of God. Always. And his judgment is always against sin. So whatever, whatever form sin takes really doesn't matter when, when you get to the point where God's holy and he judges anything that's unholy. Obedience always brings the blessing of God in righteousness. So see, he, in other words, he confirms your righteousness. In our case, it would be we've received the righteousness of God. 
He'll confirm that through your obedience. So you'll have confidence with God. So see, obedience is necessary. You can't have confidence without it. You can't say, well, God loves me just the way I am, even though I'm a wretched sinner. See, this, he's provided a way that we can escape the wrath to come, not relish in it. Romans 5.12 reads, Wherefore is by one man entered into the world, and death by sin. Let's not forget that. I mean, a person that sins, they're dead. We say, well, they're still walking around. They're dead unto God. They can't have any fellowship with God until the sin issue gets, gets remedied. Sin is a blockage between you and God. It, it's a wall. You can't get over it. And God's provided a way that, that he'll, he can demolish the wall. Amen. Wherefore is by one man centered into the world, the death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. You say, wait a minute, that's not fair. I've heard so many people tell me this. That's not fair. you telling me that Adam's sin, I have to pay for Adam's sin? Well, let's keep going. For that all have sinned. Okay, you were born with a nature that was, that was not toward God. It was toward the earth, the, the world, the earth. It, it, it was contrary to the nature of God. All right, now, but the fact that you were born with that nature didn't make you sin. Okay? What it did is it promoted sin in you. In other words, you, already, you were born with a nature that was against God. At some point in time, when, when you determined to do, do the things that God said not to do, you became a sinner. Yeah. Now sin was, see, you can't get away from this. Sin was already in you, wanting to work itself. But see, at some point in time, you gave it expression. And that is where you became responsible yeah. to God for what you did. Yeah. Now, this is the backdrop. Salvation, you look at that sin and evil and what was working in us. This, how could we possibly escape the wrath of God? How is it even possible that someone who was so defiled and so unlike God could ever come into his presence? Well, if God were not good, salvation would never have been possible. But see, God is good. In other words, God determined before he ever made the world, before any sin had ever erupted, before Lucifer had even fallen, God had a plan. Now that's a weak word. He had an eternal purpose, one that he himself was going to, it was going to proceed from him. He was going to do the work. And um, this is the backdrop there's a sense in which God allowed this to happen. God didn't, God didn't make Lucifer fall. But see, when it did, he didn't like, he, didn't, he could have just expelled him. He's God. He could have just eliminated him instantly. But then how would the purpose of God be fulfilled? Jesus, remember, he, um, he, he, there was a time when, when he could have chosen in the garden there, right? He said, but then how would salvation, how would it be accomplished? He had to lay down his life. See, that Jesus was willing. And um, 
Unfortunately for Lucifer, he was far too willing to sin against God, to go against God, the one, his creator. He looked at himself. He was so beautiful. Well, this is what self-righteousness will do to you. It'll bring you down every time. If God were not good, but see, God is good. All the attributes of God are actively employed in salvation. If you look at it, if you examine salvation and you break it down, we've, we have the revelation. So as you study the revelation, as you look into what God's done in Christ Jesus, you, you'll be able to see different attributes of God that, that how would you know they even existed if he wasn't saving you? How would you know if you were an angel in heaven, a righteous angel, a holy angel, and you witnessed the angels fall, a third of the angels fell, right? And they went with Lucifer. How would you ever come to the conclusion that God is long-suffering? They fell and he cast them out, right? That the, There was a war in heaven. And God wasn't saving the angels. He was casting them out, getting, getting them out of there. Why? Because he God's holy. This is what God did. They were in his presence and they sinned against him in his presence. There was no salvation package for them. All of the attributes of God are active in salvation. So as you look at it and you examine it, what does that do? That, that gives you confidence. Look, God's person is in salvation. He's exposing himself. Now, as you look into it, you see more and more of the goodness of God. The riches of his goodness. You can't plumb the depths of the goodness of God. He is good. And he's righteous, and he's holy, and he's just. And he's the one that determines who's in and who's out. And would we have it any other way? Would we want, sometimes I've heard some people say, well, why, everyone, that's a universalist, by the way. Jesus died for sin, right? They, they reason this out. He died for sin. He took away all sin. That's true. Well, then everyone's going to be saved. Some even believe even Lucifer is going to be saved because they just they just know a little bit about God. Just just one part. They took away all sin. Well, then they jump to the conclusion. Well, then everyone must going to be saved. But they miss a lot in, the, in between, don't they? See, God's holy and he's just and he's working salvation on the earth. But he's doing it through faith. See, he, he gives you to believe but now you're the one that's going to have to believe, right? So you're justifying God, and he's blessing you as you trust in him and believe. He gives you more confidence, gives you more patience, gives you more love for the brethren. And the next thing you know, you're willing in the day of his power. But you were a part of that. God just didn't work something on the outside and then bring you in like that. He did work something, but it was in order that you might believe, and believing is a lot harder work than some men may portray it. God's always been good. See, it isn't like, well, where's the measure that we can measure God's goodness? It's God himself. God is the measure of good. We wouldn't know anything about good if it wasn't for God. God doesn't have to try to be good. He is good. See, his goodness, all God got to do is show up. His, his, his goodness, his mercy, it's there. It's resident in him. And all the definitions of God, 
eventually turn back to God. You, you wouldn't understand one of them independent from him. <clears throat> when you look at what God does, it's always a reflection of who he is. Now, Jesus can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So have you ever wondered what would God do in any given situation? Read about Jesus. See, there is no application without Jesus. There is none, absolutely none. There's no reason to be a Christian without Jesus. There's none. You'd just be giving your life away for nothing. Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus. And if you're in him, you have access to God. Well, that's powerful there. In other words, you can resist sin. In other words, you can please God in everything you think, everything you say, everything you do, because you're in Christ. You're in the arena, the area where pleasing God's possible. Outside of Christ, you can't please God. No matter what you do, you can't please God. Before anything ever existed, before the worlds were framed by the word of God, God was already everything. God hasn't grown one millimeter in salvation. God hasn't, through all he's done in these 6,000 plus years, hasn't changed God at all. God is God. And we're learning about God. God's being who he is in salvation. He wanted to save us. And praise God, he has saved us. He is saving us. And praise God, he shall save us. One day when he shows up and we're gathered together and we enter into the joy of the Lord, he will have 100% fully saved us, brought us to heaven. Right after the fall of man, I, I was impressed by this. God is quick to reveal an aspect of his person that was never made known before. God was displaying his goodness to Adam, even when he cast him out of the garden. Now, see, is it, well, you cast him out of that great place? Yeah. And the Lord, this is uh, Genesis 3, to 24. And the Lord God said, behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. God was being good to Adam. He stopped him from eating in a defiled state, one that was alienated from the life that was in God, he stopped him from eating of that tree and living forever in that state. Now that's powerful. That's a good God. That's a good God. He stood in the way, as it were, and he wouldn't let him do something. Adam had no idea what state he was in. He was fallen. And at that point in time, I'm sure he was followed by very much confusion. He didn't know that God was going to save, send a Savior and save him. He didn't know that. All he knew is he had offended God, and God had, had given him a directive to till the ground, although it wouldn't bring forth any fruit for you. He, he gave him, he, he told him what his punishment was, and then he cast him out of the garden, put cherubims, couldn't go back in. 
See, look, look at it from Adam's perspective. This looked like the end. But he gave him a little bit of hope. Genesis 3.15 gave him a little bit of hope. See, we can look back at what God's already done in the Scripture and learn He's good. God is good. Later, when the world appeared that it was absolutely too far gone. I mean, you'd have to look, you'd have to look far and wide, and still you wouldn't find anybody that was righteous. Only God could find one. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that God kept Noah. He kept him so that he wouldn't. <laughs> See, God's purpose, he's, his purpose is moving forward now. Genesis 6, 5, and 7 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented, it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creepy thing, and the fowls of the earth. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Now, if that was the last word you had, what kind of hope would that produce? But see, this hurt God's heart. That's what it says. It grieved him at his heart. That this creation that he had created in his image had fallen so far that it was irretrievable. It wasn't, he wasn't going to save them in their present condition. Now, as far as we know, they hadn't been given a whole lot of revelation, just a little bit to Adam, but not a word was spoken to them in the record between then and now. They got a Cain's, got a little bit of word there, but see, there wasn't a lot known about God. God's goodness hadn't really been manifested. If this was the end, if this was going to be the end, well then God's eternal purpose wouldn't have got accomplished, right? The thing that he purposed, we know, we know from, the, from the revelation, he purposed it before the foundation of the world. Now, if this would have been the end, if he'd have wiped them all out, say, I'll start again. Nope, I'm sorry, that wouldn't have worked. That wouldn't have worked. He said, well, I'll create a new man. No, that wouldn't have worked. What, what would have happened? Well, it would have proved that Lucifer actually had more power than then it may have been than he, than he had. It may have looked like I actually stopped God from doing his eternal purpose. Did Lucifer have enough power to quench the eternal purpose of God? No, he didn't. Now, it may have appeared, if you were one of the people walking around, what in the world's going on here? I'm sure Noah thought, this whole place has just gotten really, really, really wicked. But see, the fact of the matter is, is that Satan isn't as powerful as God. He, he lies, he says he is, but he's just not. What happened? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's what happened. See, God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy the earth. God's going to destroy the earth, everything in it, the beast. They're all, they're all going to die, he said, except you. Now, 
I tell you this, what a work Brother Noah had. He had to build an ark. Took him 120 years working on God's project. But eventually got it done, and, and he was delivered. He was saved. Why? So that God's eternal purpose could keep going. To God's eternal purpose, what, what they didn't know is that God already knew what was going to happen. God already had purposed it. God had determined to destroy the whole world, and yet we can see God's goodness even in this, that he gave one. He gave one some grace to be ready for what he had to do. The goodness of God cannot ultimately be stopped or changed. God is good, and nothing's going to change that. Nothing's going to change even one little bit of the characteristic of God. God's unchangeable. And see, what we're seeing is that we're seeing his goodness at work. He preserved the race with one man. Well, is it doesn't... Doesn't this, we can see this in Christ. God, not only did he preserve it, he delivered all of his sons through one man. And see, he's, he's, given, he's given us a little bit of insight. You see, God does what he will. And not, no one can stay his hand. No one can say, what are you doing? God knows what he's doing. The goodness of God cannot be ultimately stopped. It's a part of who he is. You, you, would have to, you would have to alter God in order to change his purpose. We can depend on God because he is first faithful to himself. Now, see, that, that's someone who's, who's not going to change. He is faithful. In fact, we read in 2 Timothy, or, yeah, 2, 2 Timothy 2.13, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. He cannot. Not only won't he, he cannot deny himself. Well, see, when you're perfect, you don't need to change, right? When you're perfect, he's absolutely perfect. Everything he does is glorious and, and marvelous and full of wonder. He's God. There is no other God. Well, you know, this is a very precious thing to know about God. When, when you're in the trenches and the enemy's coming in like a flood, it's good to know God is with me and God can't change. God can't lose. So even if they come in, even if they kill my body, they can't touch my soul. They, they can't touch the essence of who I am in Christ. This is a powerful thing. Now it's, you know, some, I do believe, only teach one part of the nature of God, that God's good. God's good. He's good. But he is good. But see, there's another aspect. He's there at the end, he's going to cast some, some into the lake of fire, right? With the devil and his angels, for sure. But then in the false prophet. But see, those who followed after them, those who that became their God, they're going to be cast in too. So see, but see, some deny that. They're like, oh, no, God would never do that. No, which they were learning about the fact that God is not only good he's also very severe god can be very severe and his severity is always coupled with righteousness see it isn't like god just i'm out there looking for people that i can exercise my severity on that's not the point the point is he's looking for someone he can ex exercise his goodness on 
And those that will not have this man to rule over them, well, they get hit with the severity of God. And at all costs, at all costs, we want to avoid that. To those who do not believe, they get severity. Those who believe, they, they get the mercy of God, right? They get the love of God shed abroad upon them. Romans eleven twenty two says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell. Now he's talking about, <laughs> he's talking about the nation of Israel here. All right. They had a good beginning, right? They had been delivered from Pharaoh, who was making their their life miserable, giving them more work than they could possibly do. And and well, it, it's kind of like living under sin, right? There's just no remedy. There's just nothing you can do to get out from under it. Doesn't make any difference how much good you do. It just you just can't. God has to come and deliver you. You have to have a deliverer. And so God raised up Moses. He raised up Moses. Of course, he was a child. He was born a child, born a very, his mother knew he was a special child. And I know I didn't put all this in here. But um, the, the thing is, is that, see, God is showing us that there is no situation that a believer can get into where God can't deliver them, can't, can't give them grace, can't make them stand. When it appears, un- there's no way to- God is good. He will not abandon you. You say, well, I'm at my worst point. Well, probably not. It just seems that way. God will not abandon his people. He says, on them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness, if, if, it is in the Bible, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also, also, be, also shall be cut off. And they also, now this is, look about the goodness of God now. And they also, talking about the ones that fell, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in again. We're looking forward to the advancement of Israel. We're looking forward to God grafting them back into their own tree. Why? Because he's good. That's why he didn't say to Jacob, okay, he didn't say to Abraham, I'll make you the father of many nations in vain. He didn't. He is going to bring them back. And when it is, Paul says it's going to be life from the dead. It's, oh, I'm looking forward to this great, this worldwide revival when God gives Israel to believe. I used to think about that. I think about what if you had like, 50,000 Pauls running around. One man, Paul, he changed, he changed the face of the earth. Oh, I tell you, see, the goodness of God is going to be demonstrated on a much larger scale than it ever, ever have when Israel comes back. Yes. See, you might think, now wait a minute, if any nation was going to understand who the Messiah was, it would have been Israel, right? So see, their sin is much more grievous because they were cultured by God to where when Jesus showed up, they wouldn't recognize him, but they didn't. They rejected him. They crucified the Son of God. And so see, God cut them off. That's what it said. He, he cut them off. 
but he's, he's going to bring them back. Why? Because God's good. That's why. His goodness is demonstrated. He's, he can, only he can do this, graft them in again. Now, then he asks this question to the, to the Gentiles, which is harder, to graft you, which was a wild olive branch, right? Which would be harder, to graft you into the tree or to graft one of the natural branches? See, for God, this is not impossible. But uh, alas, many in the church have created doctrines where they say, well, the Gentiles replaced the Jews, but it's just a lie. They didn't replace them. The Jews are he, his people. They're his people. He created them. They're the, the miracle people. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a baby. It was impossible. God gave them the ability to be able to do this so they would be his people. And Paul says, did he cast them off forever? God forbid. God forbid that he would cast his people off forever. So what has he done? He has, he's punished them. God's a good God. He's, he's like a father, he's a good father. And he's punished them. But see, now he says with everlasting kindness, he's going to receive them again. He's going to graft them back in. Amen. Why? It's teaching us how God's good. He's good. See, he's, he didn't do it because he wanted to. This has got to be seen. God's not vengeful just to be vengeful. This is like a last resort with God. If they won't repent, if they if they remain with their faces turned away from him, well, then he'll use vengeance. He'll use wrath. But this is not his preference. He would much rather lavish his love and his mercy on people than he would his vengeance. The new covenant reveals things about God and our involvement in the kingdom of God that we could have never figured out on our own. We had to have some apostles come along. God had to send us messengers so they could open this thing up. And now, see, we all, every one of us, are a fruit of somebody's work. Somebody ministered to you. And, and in, in ministering that, what happened? The goodness of God was manifested. You saw God will receive me if I just come to him. Oh, that's good. We have a good God. His goodness is everlasting he says, then he said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will, his will. We are sanctified. Now get this, through the offering of the body of Christ, once for all. God sanctified you in another person because of the works of another person. It was Jesus who was perfect. He had never sinned. And yet he took our sins. And we couldn't have been in any, any, any kind of greater dilemma than what we were in. We were full of sin. He took our sin and he put it on him. And his righteousness is deferred. See, he, he made it possible for God to give us his own righteousness. Why? Because that's the only way God would receive you. But praise God, he did it. He did it. He did what n none other could do. Yeah. See, so, see, see, the matter of sin being, and, and this is the answer, the, the universalist, 
So the matter of sin being dealt with in an aggregate is really not the question. He did take away the sin of the whole world. This is true. I have to say amen to that. He took away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's been accomplished, and it's been accomplished on our behalf, the sinner. He did it for him. He did it. It was an expression of his goodness. He did it. He took away sin, and all of it's gone. And he gave us the righteousness of God. So if God's already taken away all the sin, well, then some will say, then, um, well, then we're all going to be saved, right? Well, but what that doctrine of men has misunderstood is the present work of the Holy Spirit and the sanctification of the person in salvation. See, he's taken away your sins in order that he can give you the Holy Spirit in order that you would be sanctified, set apart. See, so that the, the, the love of God and the mercy of God could get working in you. And what would happen you would deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and you would set would you would set your feet in, in a direction towards God. You would stop turning your face toward the world and you would turn it towards God. What happened? God sanctified you Amen. so that He could work in you by the Holy Spirit. And if that's not happening, I don't care how much a person tells me they're saved, they are being set up for destruction. See, these false doctrines that say God's already done everything, you don't have to do anything, this is a lie. God's working in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And if I'm involved in something that God can't sign off on, it's wrong. I don't care what it is. It just doesn't, it's wrong. So how do we know we're saved? We're willing. We're willing to throw anything aside that gets in between us and God. This is a confirmation that God's working in me. See, he's, God's willing to save. He's willing to, 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 to create good, uh, goodness towards you. He's sanctifying your whole person which is actually an absolute essential thing for him to see. Eventually God himself, not another God himself is going to dwell with his people. So they're going to have to be right. See, there can be no sin in them. There can be nothing that defiles in them or God won't do it. He won't come and live with them, but God's going to God himself is going to be with his people. Now the Lord is that spirit. This is talking about the spirit that comes in you. You know, that, that Holy Spirit of promise. And Peter said, you repent and be baptized, everyone, in, your name of the, uh, and, and the, in the name of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, he'll, the Holy Spirit will come in you. He'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the Lord is that Spirit. It's not like two spirits or three spirits. The Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as it is a, in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another you're you're getting better <laughs> why because god's good that's why Amen. see god could have been critical i mean i i think when i was a child i thought god's like really critical of everything everything's everything's bad well there's a sense in which if it's done in in the flesh it is everything's bad 
But look at how merciful God is. He was long-suffering. He's still being long-suffering with us, brethren. God hasn't stopped being long-suffering just because he put you in Christ. Actually, now this long-suffering is much more critical that he's long-suffering. Because some things we don't even know they're sinful. But they are. But how, how are we gonna how are we gonna manage that? His goodness, it reveals it. It shows us person by person. You're growing at different levels, at different speeds, at different advancements. And so, what's going on? As you see it, as the Holy Spirit reveals this to you, that this doesn't fit in, and you lay it aside. You say, "No, I don't want that. I want something that the Lord He loves." What's He doing? He's saving us because He's good. He's, he's a good God. He's making us just like Jesus. And we all know, if you've read the scriptures, you know God is very pleased with Jesus. And he's making you in the same image. So on that day, when we stand before him, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Oh, I'm going to make you ruler over many things. We didn't deserve it. But Jesus did. Jesus deserved it. And he's sitting right now at the right hand of God, and he's anticipating. Just like we're anticipating going there, he's anticipating us coming there. He says, he says that they may be where I am. See, until we're there with Christ, until the body of Christ is gathered together, Jesus is not done with his work as an advocate. But at that time, when we're all gathered together, well, see, his, his work will be complete. The fact that the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering has led his people to repentance, that's what they'll do. That's what they'll do. They'll teach you. Teach your hands to make war against anything that comes in between you and God. You'll find the ultimate manifestation when we hear these words. This is from Revelation 20, 21, 6 through 8. And he said unto me, it is done. Oh, just think of how much Jesus longs to, to say these words. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. The one that he cut, cut um, uh, Adam off. Remember, he cut him off. Couldn't eat of that tree because you were defiled. Couldn't eat it. You'd live forever like that. And what is he saying? You're clean. You're 100% clean now. Amen. And I'm going to give you access to this, this living waters. And that's where the tree of life is. Right, and says the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. God's going to open up his goodness for all the ages to come. We're going to experience and be lavished in the goodness of God forever. Praise God for Jesus. Amen.